Today's conversation is unusual to say the least. My guests are musician and activist Ani DeFranco, singer-songwriter and composer Zoe Bookbinder, and writer and performer Nathan Jackson-Brown. There's also a fourth guest who joins in very unexpectedly towards the end, and in a way none of us saw coming when we began recording, adding powerful context to the conversation. You'll have to listen to understand what actually happened. Our focus, what started as a curiosity, when Zoe was invited to give a concert to incarcerated men in solitary confinement at New Folsom Max Security Prison, we explore how that experience would not only forever change them, but evolve into a 10-year collaboration where they kept going back to not just perform, but also understand the reality of the prison experience today. And without ignoring what brought these men to the facility, many with life sentences that began running in their late teens also endeavor to see their humanity, their own personal evolution and fuller stories, both personal and societal, that contributed to their circumstances. Zoe began to not only perform, but also listen and teach and facilitate collaborations that encouraged people to share and write poems and stories and lines to be rapped or sung. One of those people was Nathan, who at the time was in the last few years of his sentence and has since returned home and works every day to rebuild his life, his work, and in his words, give his kids something to believe in. This is where Ani enters the picture. So Zoe wanted to find a way to tell the stories they were hearing, as well as focus a spotlight on awareness about the state of mass incarceration and open people's eyes to the human stories and the idea of restorative justice, which has become this really fascinating area of growing conversation. So they teamed with Ani to launch the Prison Music Project with the intention of bringing the words being written behind the walls of New Folsom, out into the studio, then partner with a wide range of musicians and performing artists to record them, culminating in their first release, Long Time Gone, which offers a powerful set of gritty, real, and vulnerable tracks. Also, we'll share a bit of music from the project along the way. So one final word before we dive in. This conversation is incredibly personal for each guest in their own way, and may land as incredibly personal for you. The issues are complex, and the stories you'll hear shared are emotional and at times challenging. I urge you to stay with them. As you'll hear, one of the things we explore is how problematic binary thinking, good or bad, right or wrong, black or white, often is. How it never quite reflects the complicated, full-spectrum truth of the human condition, and how all too often it leads to inequity and harm rather than justice, connection, and restoration, which is exactly why, as we all step deeper into a season where we're all being asked to re-examine so many assumptions about systemic inequity, society, race, restoration, and justice, it's important to at least plant the seeds that allow us to see each other's humanity as the foundation of every conversation and decision. And it's hard to plant those seeds until we allow ourselves to see and know the fuller community of people, especially those who've lived profoundly different lives than us and whose choices and support systems have influenced decisions and outcomes that are also often a world away from the life you and I may know. 
really excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. So I'm really excited just to sort of bounce between the three of you. The first album, by the way, wow, so powerful, so amazing. Just a, such an awesome, I, I can't wait to kind of like deconstruct the story and the stories behind it with you. So we don't, while we kind of kick it off with you, it probably makes sense to just kind of like dive into just before you started actually even showing up at Folsom, before any of this happened, what were you up to? Because it sounds like you were you were out in the world doing work as singer songwriter. Give me sort of like the picture of your world before then. I was twenty five, so I don't know what like twenty five year old singer songwriter folk singer, just sort of starting my career. I quit this band that I was in with my sister called Vermilion Lies, and we were like this vaudeville very theatrical kind of cabaret. It was in that that cabaret renaissance that happened with like the Dresden dolls and all of that world. We were in that world. And then uh, I, I quit that band with my sister and then started doing my own thing. And right uh, around the same time, I started going into the prison. So I had just really started playing my solo music out in the world when I brought it into New Folsom. Yeah. What was at that point in your life, what was music to you or for you? It felt like, and it still feels like it has always felt like as soon as I found it, it was like, oh yeah, I can't not make this. This is not a choice I'm making. This just pours out of me. I'm going to make it whether I share it with people or not, but turns out I really love to share it with people. But at the time I really wanted to write about things outside of myself. 
social issues, political issues, environmental issues. And I never really could figure out how to do it in a way that felt good. It always felt kind of contrived or luxury or yeah, it felt way too vulnerable for sure. Somehow way more vulnerable than singing about my broken heart. Amen to that, Zoe. <laughs> Political songs are hard. Ooh, so hard. hard. But it was working in the prison and working on those songs that brought me to that over many years. It took a long time for me to be able to write my own, like collaborating with folks who, I mean, it's, you know, folks who are impacted by incarceration, just their lives and their own stories are you know it's like a social issue because incarceration is a social issue so just writing about their own experience it is a political song so being a part of those collaborations I think opened that door for me which I'm so grateful for were um I guess Annie and Zoe were were you on each other's radar at that point or were like kind of just doing your separate things any awareness of each other or did that happen later on I mean I certainly knew who she was I did not know who Zoe was yet <laughs> until she walked into my living room. Yeah. That was a bunch of years later. <laughs> yeah. So you end up going to New Folsom, which for those who don't know what that is, describe what was it? And and when you're showing up on the first day, what do you think that you're going there to do? What do you think your commitment is? I'm going there to play three concerts. Yeah. So New Folsom Prison, that's this nickname. The official name is California State Prison, Sacramento. And it's right next to the famous Folsom Prison, which is lower security. New Folsom is new. It's a newer, very plain looking concrete facility. Three buildings, three yards, uh, houses about 3,000 people non-consensually. And uh, it's a men's prison, though, as hopefully most of the listeners know, the prison system, the criminal justice system misgenders people a lot. So there were women, uh, trans women inside the prison as well. So I just want to mention that when I call it a men's prison. Um, Yeah, and I was there, I committed to playing three concerts. And I'd heard about them in advance through the person who who ran this program there. He brought in artists to perform and teach workshops and stuff. And so I was there to perform and I was going to play in a library, two libraries on two separate yards. And then the one concert we were in, in contact for a few months before I went in and every couple of weeks he'd email me like, are you sure you want to do this one concert? This is the one for men in solitary confinement. Are you sure you want to do this one? It's, really intense. (laughs) And uh, I've never been one to shy away from something uh, that might be, yeah, like emotionally challenging, or I don't want to hide a reality from myself, a reality of our society. I want to see it all, even if it's ugly, maybe especially if it's ugly, because I want to know what we're up against. I want to know why we're fighting and to be able to see it and and experience it in that way. Yeah, I mean, it is intense, but it's helpful. So I said yes, even though I kept checking in and I kept thinking, wow, you're asking me again if I really want to do this one concert. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, that's I, I didn't know really what to expect, even though he told me but it's different to hear 
to hear him describe it. And he told me, you know, you're going to be playing for these people in cages. They'll be in these little cages when you play for them in this little room. And it just doesn't matter how much you hear a description of that. Seeing it is a totally different thing. I mean, you know how you feel when you see an animal in a cage? It's a human being. So it's just like ample. You know, when you go to the zoo and you're like, man, that animal looks really sad. Well, you can identify with a human way more than you can identify with an animal. And it's just like, I mean, I think it's a, yeah, it's, I think it's traumatizing to be in that environment, even when you're not the person who's being caged. And so I, I think about prison staff too. just anyone who has to be in an environment where that level of dehumanization is happening on a daily basis. It's, I think it's, I really think it's dehumanizing for everyone, which is not to diminish the fact that it is obviously much, much worse and much more unfair for the incarcerated people. Yeah. And, and Nathan, I think it probably makes sense to bring you in um, because Zoe is basically describing what Zoe sees from the outside looking in as your lived experience for 17 years. Right. So you, I, I know I've heard you describe coming up, you, you were pretty much in and out of some kind of system from the age of 12. Yeah. Tell me more. I mean, as far as me coming up, uh, I mean, product of a broken home, uh, left to my own devices, basically from a young age, it's like, I mean, don't get me wrong. When my mother seen me doing wrong stuff, I was disciplined appropriately from her mindset at that time. But, you know, I just had to get slicker, uh, basically, so she didn't have to see me. But it became normal. I can't even explain what it means to me to uh, when I hear people talk about like like Zoe, when she says, seeing, like you said, seeing it from the outside, it's like. After so long, all that becomes like when Zoe was explaining the seeing people in cages. I've been in so many cages that it's like that's outside wreck. Like Zoe sees it like it's dehumanizing and putting us in cages and having to see us worse than animals, actually, because you can relate to a human being a little bit more or a lot more than you can relate to an animal. But to us, it's like this is outside wreck. This is a release from the cell. You know, I mean, from being stuck in the cell, we get to go outside now. And while it's still in a cage, it's outside, it's fresh air. So it's like any, any, any breath of fresh is a release to us when we're there that long because everything else is just normal. So a cage is like you being like stuck in the house on quarantine for three months and then finally being able to go out and have dinner at a restaurant. That's our feeling of going to a cage to go to yard after being locked down for three months. It's like, wow, we get to go to the yard for an hour and walk around this eight by 12 cage, but we get to go outside. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to, to hear the two different perspectives. And Zoe described it as, you know, like, it, well, like imagine how you feel when you see an animal behind a cage, just right. a human behind a cage. And, and I wonder if that's why I think a lot of people who have never known somebody who's been incarcerated, who have never been in the situation, who are so far removed from it in their everyday lives, actually don't want to think about it or don't want to actually sit down and have a conversation with somebody who's been through this experience because when you're, I think when you're forced to confront the fact that, yes, these are people who, who very often, sometimes they're wrongly incarcerated, sometimes they're not, sometimes they've made major mistakes, sometimes. Right. But underneath it all, there's a human story. And when, you, when you're forced to confront that, it's, I think most people just don't want to. Well, yeah. And personally, that's one of my major issues 
like not to um with the uh music but why I do my YouTube as well is because I feel like so many people don't realize that we're more than just a person that committed a crime. Uh we're more than just a piece of paper. And while I say it seems it all seems normal to us being in there, it's not normal. Uh, it's just normal because it's the situation that we've been forced to live. The lucky ones of us make the best out of it. The unlucky ones are the ones who always had to perform for it, who are in these big cages in Washington because they just can't handle it. And it gets too rough and it gets rough for all of us. And like, unfortunately, myself, a lot of times I took it out with violence to handle it. Like, you know, just it's not normal. We just it was our new normal, unfortunately. And it's not good. It's not OK. It's left lifelong remnants that will never go away. I don't even like being in the house too long. To be honest, I like being outside all the time, period, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of people that honestly, I have a circle of people that I, th I believe after dealing with me and hearing it from my side and just open their eyes to a lot more stuff that they didn't expect someone with my background to be able to articulate or to be. I mean, like, obviously, I've beaten a lot of the statistics, not the odds. I'm going to say I beat a lot of the statistics. Statistically, people who served as much time as me don't usually make it in society. Uh, but it's all about the drive, in my opinion. You know, you got to I, I looked at my 17 and a half years and they're like, this is what I'm doing for now. This is not who I am. And uh, the things I have to do in here will be things that I have to do to survive because I am in a jungle, in effect. And I'm either going to be food or I'm going to survive. And I have remorse now for some of the things I had to do due to the rules of the environment I was in. But I've only dealt with CDCR, California Department of Corrections. And the R's, there's no rehabilitation. But they put us in situations that you're, you're either, like I said, you're either going to be food or you're going to survive. And then they portray the picture to the outside world that it's us doing this stuff, not us defending ourselves against situations you put us in. It's like if you know that a black guy got in a fight with a white guy and you release four white guys that are racially motivated and you release one black guy, what do you think is going to happen? You set us up for failure on so many different ways, psychologically, physically, and then punish us for defending ourselves or punish us for attacking you guys, you know what I mean? Or, or whatever may happen as a result of what you initially instituted, then we become the bad guys. And the press release says black inmate attacks officer or press release says white inmates attack officers. It doesn't say, but control officer released four black inmates to attack one white inmate. Uh, white inmate goes to the hospital. His celly comes out and attacks the same officer. They don't say all that. All they'll say is the officer was attacked by a white inmate. It's situational, man. And it's, it's horrible. It's terrible. Yeah. And I think it's important to create some context here mm -hmm. because there will be people listening to this and understanding, I think, what you're trying to share here and the quality of what you experience in a max prison that, right. that never reaches the public's eye. And then there will be people listening who are saying, well, but you did something really bad to get you in there. So That's true. So you know, like this is what it's like. And, and I think there's an important frame to offer, which is, is that, yes, like we said in the beginning, a lot of the reason why people go into the system are because there was an act that was done that is sometimes really, really bad. But what that doesn't 
take and, and this is not about forgiving that or condoning it or just saying let's forget about it true this is about saying okay that is one thing that is part of a larger story that this individual has lived. Right. And let's look at the larger story, both at what led up to that moment, how we as a society enable or disable the, that, and then what happens to this individual once they're in a system where, in theory, th there is some form of not just punishment, but torture, rehabilitation happening. Okay, yeah. But, but I, can, I can actually cite... I was just watching a documentary on a prison. I believe it's in Sweden. When you first walk in, the guard shakes your hand and welcomes you to the prison and puts you in a place. They walked into the unit. The correctional officer was sitting on a couch with the inmates, with the people serving time, doing their time. And then the interviewer asked him, well, why is it so friendly? You're, the officers are friendly with the inmates. And, all. She, and the officer, the sergeant who was in charge of the unit said, their punishment is being not going home. It's not our job to punish them. They've already been punished by the courts. They're here. They can't go home. Why should we treat them any more badly, any different than I would treat another person in, in society? Their punishment is being here. My job is to make sure they stay in here, not to torture them, not to inflict any kind of harm on them. It's just to make sure they stay here. That's my job. And I was like, wow, I wish I could have did my time there. I wish the guys that I've met that have been institutionalized and, and, and the violence is riddled into their head. And these guys are killers walking around in flip-flops and shower shoes, hanging out, smiling, nice, polite, no aggression. There was no aggression in the room. And I was like, that's how it could be. I mean, that's a better way. I mean, I know a lot of us are, are trying to get, a, a lot of people would like to see no prisons at all, but that if it gotta be prison, it should be like that. It's not breeding people to be released into society with the mentality of kill or be killed. You know what I mean? The Department of Corrections designs people to be warriors or to be food. That's all they set you up to be in a level four, period. And you're either going to do what they want you to do, or you're going to keep your mental focused, do what you got to do, get through it and come home, hopefully. But it's not that easy. It's not that easy. And it hasn't been easy for me. It hasn't been easy. I've been out six years, but it hasn't been easy mentally, mentally, physically. It's nothing. But mentally, every day I got to keep myself in check. Because the old re tries to revert the old every time a little slight or a person says the wrong thing, what I perceive to be the wrong thing, my mind automatically starts sweating and I feel my, my tension pull up and but I control it. I, you know, I, I self-meditate, not self-medicate, self-meditate. You know, and yeah, it, it's been working out for me. It's been working out for me, thankfully. Which I think kind of brings us back into the story, right? Yeah. Because you know, part of that is is developing outlets that are different, um, and developing skills, coping skills, management skills, and also ways to express emotion and feelings mm -hmm. that are channeled in a different way. And so we drop into Zoe coming into prison, right, and saying, "Okay, so I showed up originally." to do a couple of workshops. And then like the assumption was like, I do this and then I'm out. But that in fact is not what happens. Yeah. I was there to play concerts actually. It wasn't even workshops. So it wasn't even, there wasn't even a much um, opportunity for like a back and forth or yeah, not much opportunity for conversation because I just performed though. Uh, the, the guy who, who ran the program suggested that I ask the audience if some of them wanted to perform too so luckily i i did 
that first time get to see some performances, some um, displays, I suppose, um, of work written by folks who were incarcerated there. But just, the, I mean, the experience and the small conversations I was able to have before and after the concerts, which were super brief because I was playing three concerts in a short amount of hours in different sections of the prison. So there's a lot of walking and showing ID and uh, gates opening and all of this stuff in between. That experience was so... I, you know, 10 years later, I don't even, I still don't really know how to describe it or talk about it. It was completely changed my life, changed my awareness, opened my eyes. But I also didn't process it for a, a long time, really. I remember, like, I, I, I knew that I would go back a lot. Like, I left the prison and I, and I, uh, I, I just knew I was like, well, I, I, you know, going in that day, I thought that was going to be a one-off thing. But, but when I left, I knew I'm going to go back as much as I can. And I was going back for like a year and a half. I was going back often playing concerts, teaching workshops. And maybe a year and a half later, I'm on tour and somebody at some house I'm crashing at, somebody puts on this documentary about solitary confinement and Almost as soon as this documentary starts, I start weeping like I've never wept watching a movie before. And throughout the whole documentary, my, my body is like, you know, and your butt, whole body is shaking because you're crying so hard and you can't see because there's so, so many tears that for like an hour and a half. And, and it occurred to me like, I've never really let... <sighs> Nathan and I have talked about this. There's like a wall you have to put up, including when you're going into the prison as a volunteer right. or a staff member, or whatever, to be able to see people in that amount of it, dehumanized in that way and suffering it to that degree. There's just this wall you have to build in order to sustain going in over and over again and seeing it over and over again there's this distance there's this protection there's this armor and somehow watching a documentary of something i had seen in person <laughs> many times that was the space where oh now because when i'm in the space i have to be very controlled and then can't show emotion or they probably won't let me back in and the guards right. will, you know, have judgments about me and whatever, mm -hmm. the, whatever the thing. Yeah. So there was just this catharsis in, in this moment where I was, you know, I, where I could, it was safe to do it. It's a very interesting experience. Yeah. So you knew really early on that, this was not a one-off that you would, this was going to be something where you would keep going back. But I guess you didn't know what that would look like yeah. in the beginning. So what started eventually as, well, let me go and perform for it and maybe spend the slightest bit of time getting to know some of these people turns into something more interactive, something more educational where you start to realize like, oh, it's not just me coming here to share right. my writing and my music. But these are human beings with stories and and writers and musicians and people who have their own things inside of them that they want to get out. And I guess the something clicks, which says, well, maybe I can help be 
a catalyst for that as well. Yeah, it became pretty clear to me. I mean, I think on that first visit that the thing that I was in there to offer that felt actually really valuable. And I think music is valuable. And especially when you're performing your own music, you're, you know, there's this emotional nakedness that happens that gets people to trust you in a different way. And in prison, that's, that's a very valuable thing. Because as I said, there's all these emotional walls up. Um, so it is valuable. And, and I got that. But mostly what I felt like I wanted to be in there to offer was just human interaction, uh, and interaction with someone from the outside who just was going to treat these people like human beings instead of like animals or worse or less than. And so I was more interested in teaching workshops and doing song circles and things where we could talk and interact and share more. And so that's what I ended up doing for almost five years. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lumi. So listen, we have all had those awkward moments where a BO strikes at the worst possible time. I'm often actually out in nature when I'm exercising, so I don't even notice it when I'm out. And then I walk in the door, kind of start to wrinkle my nose, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That's actually me. That is why I'm so thankful I discovered Lumi Whole Body Deodorant. This revolutionary product, it was actually invented by an OBGYN who wanted a solution for her patients struggling with private odor. But Lumi doesn't just work, quote, down there. It provides incredible 72-hour protection for your entire body using mandelic acid. I kid you not, this stuff is a game changer. Lumi is safe and effective for pits, for feet, you name it. And as someone who's tried it, I can attest that it seriously works. The fresh scents are just an added bonus. So if you're ready to say goodbye to BO for good, try Lumi's Starter Pack. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash, and deodorant wipes and free shipping as a special offer for our listeners new customers get five dollars off a lumi starter pack with the code goodlife at lumideodorant.com don't miss your chance to experience the relief of true full body freshness that equates to over 40 percent off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com or just click the link in the show notes and use the code goodlife <music> 
Good Life Project is sponsored by Quince. So my wife actually originally introduced me to Quince because she loves their clothing and I have been hooked ever since. I literally lived in their Mongolian cashmere rib beanie and pullover hoodie pretty much all winter. And as the weather warms up, I wanted more breathable summer pieces without overpaying. And Quince has just the super high quality items like linen shirts, performance polos, activewear at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman to pass savings to customers. Actually just ordered a new European linen long sleeve button down shirt. Super excited to get that. And I'm always just so amazed at how they can keep their prices so affordable while the quality remains really high. So if you're looking to upgrade your wardrobe, I highly recommend you try Quince. Go to quince.com slash GLP for free shipping on your order and a 365 day return. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash GLP to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash GLP or just click the link in the show notes. Trust me, your wardrobe will thank you. So as you're going back and forth and it's becoming more of this collaborative process and you're you're like, it's funny, I think a lot of times we think we're going somewhere to give because we are in a position where we can and, and we kind of quickly realize, oh no, like this is, this is, we are receiving as much, if not more than we ever anticipated. And in fact, it's not even, it's not our role to be that person who bestows something. So as you're doing this over a period of years, um, and starting to realize this is something bigger. How does the conversation begin between you and Ani? Well, I knew that, you know, my audience was pretty small at the time, still not huge, uh, <laughs> but especially then. And I was also thinking about quitting music at the time, and I just hadn't really been sustaining my audience. And I, you know, I was the holder of this material and these stories. And, and I knew it's like, just like this sacred role that I had very, a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility. And I knew that the platform I had was not the max that I wanted this to reach. And I was thinking of who I could bring in to this that, that had a bigger audience and an audience that would appreciate it. And even more so someone who would be interested in doing that. And a friend of mine actually suggested and said, well, doesn't Ani DeFranco live in New Orleans? And yeah, as soon as they said it, it was like, well, uh, yeah, obviously that is who I should ask to do this. And we had never met before, but we had a friend in common have, and he put us in touch and I, yeah, I just called as a stranger and left a voicemail that said, Hey, uh, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Do you still have that voicemail? <laughs> uh, no, I, and I, and you know, Zoe, I would love to be the hero who's just like, yeah, bring it on. Give a stranger my number. I'm, I'm like, I'm a yes person to the world. But actually the first step was for me to hear some of the material. Our mutual friend, Brian said, I have this friend, Zoe, blah, 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 told me the story. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, looking at my list of things to do, which is longer than my leg. And I said, wow, that sounds cool. Uh, can I hear some of it? And the instant I heard the demos, I was just like blown away. Just like, wow, there's something really, there's something really happening here. 
creatively and like spiritually, you know? So it was like, okay, well, I guess you got to come over. And I didn't know. Uh, I, yeah, we got to spend the next six years of our life now turning this into a record somehow. Yeah. When I first asked you and we were first talking about it, we were theorizing about how long it would take. And I think we were saying a month or two. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Which is just very funny. (laughs) (laughs) After a while, we, we just, uh, the running joke was like, we're on prison time. Like we have to like every half, all the writers on this record. I can't even imagine what time becomes for you, Nathan, for those 17 years and how much you have to live in the moment or just, or live in your purpose or just not watch that clock, you know? And so that became sort of the way of the record too. Like, yeah. You know, whatever, whatever schedule we thought we had, eventually we, we just know there's no more schedules. This is, and it's going to happen for as long as it's going to happen, and it's beyond our control. <laughs> Fact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it originally, um, when Zoe reached out to you on it, you're kind of like, okay, this sounds cool and valuable. And I got a lot of stuff to do, and, and a lot of my own stuff, and a lot of other projects going on. So there has to be something musical and story driven that is powerful enough for me to say no to something that's already on my really, really long list when that happens. So you you reach back out to her and say, well, let me hear what you've got. I'm curious. I don't know if you can even, I don't know if you can even tap it back into this, but I'm curious what it was that you heard. Villain. That made you say. <laughs> <gasps> Nate's you know, like, genius. Gotta do it. <laughs> the brilliance. I mean. I'm, I'm guessing yeah. there was a demo called Villain somewhere in there, right? <laughs> My phone. Yeah. That's Our right. Song. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just a, just a really vital co- uh, collaborative. It, it was a vital. There was a vitality to the collaboration. Like different people came with their stories from their spleens, from their souls, just offering again, like becoming vulnerable, you know, through this sharing, which in prison, as you were telling us is, is like, it's just a a revolutionary act in and of itself. I imagine I don't, I wasn't in the room, you know, when these collaborations initiated, but I don't know. I just imagine stepping forward and offering bits of your self is, you know, there's a peril (laughs) that I can't imagine, though I do that on the outside, you know. Anyway, the peril, the precipice, the vitality of the intersection of Zoe and this person and that person and this person and Zoe's melodic sense, which I love, just so delicious and bringing these little, uh, you know, there was just... You know, it's like, what do you, how, well, what do we say in music? You know, it, it was happening. There was something happening. You can just, it's hard to, because when it's happening, it is a different thing every time, but you feel it when there is something vital happening. And that's just, that, it's just, just what I felt. I just felt like there was a lot being brought from all sides and offered, and I wanted to help from my side. Yeah. And, and you mentioned Zoe's voice on it, which, which brings up another really interesting sort of complexity here, right? Which is that Zoe is going in and out 
and they're working with the people who are incarcerated and and developing the the language and the writing. But at the same time, they can't record in the actual facility, right? So it's a matter of sort of like going in. And so you're, you know, like effectively gathering, right? Collaborating and gathering and then bringing it outside of the walls. So I'm curious when, Ani, you, what did you actually hear? Yeah, yeah, I heard Zoe's voice uh, singing singing the words. <laughs> and, you know, that in and of itself is fascinating. Oh, yeah. Juxtaposition. And I think we sort of, you know, uh, I mean, uh, out of necessity, the writers themselves, I mean, there were, so there ended up being a few uh, vocals recorded over the phone. Um, so the writers themselves actually performed, you know, some of the raps where it's just like, it's just so specific. And so the flow of, you know, it's just, you have to do this. Nobody can imitate. And um, so, you know, we had to just uh, accept some lo-fi vocals. Uh, and then, but then, uh, you know, the ju- I was fascinated immediately by that sort of juxtaposition just of masculine and feminine, I guess I'll say, you know, and um, uh, shaking that up. And what does it do to your brain when you hear a feminine voice deliver a masculine story? Do you open to it more readily or do, do you look at it different? Do you hear it differently? Do, I just thought that, I don't know. Uh, I thought that was really cool. So we sort of carried that forward with the other singers and a lot of performers that uh, from the outside that we invited to you know, manifest these songs on record, we leaned feminine. Yeah. So you, you end up basically saying, okay, so we're going to, as much as we can have people call and actually record their voices when we feel like it really has to be their voice. Right. And then go out to a universe of people who are out there in the world and say, Hey, listen, do you want to get involved in this? Um, Many of whom uh, identified as female. And which, which was sort of like carried on that initial thing that you heard when Zoe sent this to you. I'm also fascinated, Nate, you know, Zoe mentioned that some of the things that were being written about in the stories were deeply vulnerable and personal. And so I guess my curiosity is, were these things that could have easily been shared had they been performed by the people who were incarcerated while they were incarcerated to everyone who was actually in there with them? Well, uh, Zoe has a story about the first time I performed part of the song that Zoe put together as villain. And it took, uh, I don't know if, um, I don't know if I ever, I think it was easier to perform it in front of people who I didn't think actually understood everything it was saying personally. Um, because the two pieces that Zoe used to mind, one of the pieces would, well, actually both of them are like, they're deeper than the words that are being used and to, to have the understanding of the space I was in when I wrote them, like one of them called walls, I was trapped. And, uh, it's a crazy thing to think about that. My only constant comfort is a concrete wall. I mean, so yeah, I don't know if I could have, uh, I would have been as comfortable if it wasn't such a secluded group that we were in, uh, when I did actually perform one of mine. And then I still didn't perform it looking at anywhere. I looked at the wall, which obviously it comes right back around that the wall is my constant comfort. So I faced the wall when I performed that one and I set it to the wall. Uh, 
So I think it came across. Obviously, it hit a chord with Zoe because that's when it was decided that that one would be used. So why don't we actually share some of the music? We are going to play one of the songs now from the album. This one is titled Villain. they did a great job of putting it together but all these songs need to be listened all of them need to be listened to more than once i personally believe uh, you can't listen to them once and think you got the whole story 
You didn't. I promise you. If you're listening to me now and you bought the Long Time Gone album, please go listen to it again because you're going to hear something you didn't hear the first time on every song. And really listen, really, really listen to the words, not just the melodies or the, the, the background music. Listen to the words that are being said. There's some people pouring their souls out on those on those tracks, man. I've listened to the whole thing numerous times. Yeah. Yeah, it's big. Yeah, no, I, I know Ani said, you know, she thought it was really interesting hearing different voices expressing the words that were written by people who were incarcerated. I'm curious what it, what it was actually like for you hearing that, actually knowing all the writers personally, too. Okay, so if I'm honest, I got a different, actually, outlook hearing it come from, like she said, more feminine voices. Like when I hear one of Jacob's songs being sung by a woman. It's like, wait, I know this husky, grusky, fully bearded, aggressive person. And then I hear this sweet voice singing his words that I heard already, but I've heard these words from him with a guitar playing it. And I'm like, wow, that it's like it opens up a whole new door to it. You know what I mean? And it makes it way more, and, and the crazy thing is it, it makes it relatable so it makes you listen then you get the message when you don't even realize it was coming, if that makes sense. Because you let your wall down on that aspect. I'm so happy to hear you say that, Nate. Absolutely. That's what we're going for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, it, 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 if, like if you see me, you know, I'm six foot three, 220 pounds. I'm, my body's covered in tattoos. When the sun's in my eyes, I can look a little bit aggressive. But, uh, <laughs> but when you hear my song, the song that I took part in with Zoe come across in, in um, in Aranessa's voice, it's like, wait, you, this beautiful voice comes through your speakers and you're like, wow, so nice. You don't even realize that message that's coming in with it until you start to click like, whoa, wait, he's punching the wall. Wait, she's punching. Oh, right. This is a convict who wrote this. And then now you're you're open already, though. So it's too late to close back up. Now you really want to understand it more. So now you're going to go back and rewind it and play it again. And it could be life changing. So, yeah. And I guess Zoe and Ani, it sounds like maybe that was a part of what you were really trying to do. It wasn't just getting incredible voices and musicians to go and perform this, but to, to very intentionally create some form of cognitive dissonance to almost force people to just say, wait, what? To just start questioning what's really happening. Yeah, you know, as a, from the outsider, I mean, I'm not an outsider to the record, uh, but I'm an outsider to prison. And so... Um, like when I listen down to the record that we all created, the moment of epiphany for me is actually when there are prisoners' voices. Some of the incarcerated writers, two-thirds of the way through the record, towards the end of the record, you just hear them speak because Zoe recorded all kinds of things um, in any little moment that they could and conversations, you know, dudes over the phone, just having a, a really vulnerable moment. So you're listening to the songs, you're listening to the music, you're letting them in, and then you hear the actual voice of one of the writers. And that, for me, is the moment when it all comes together, like, oh my God, you're me, I'm you. You know, so for me, it was the opposite. It's like, that was the moment when it all comes back around and you, hopefully, we were hoping, you know, the epiphany in the outside, the, the person who has no you know, even calling people up to say, do you want to 
play on this record we're doing, blah, blah, blah. Do you want to sing on this record? Even if you're a thoughtful or caring person or maybe progressive person or forward thinking person, if you don't know anybody in prison, if you don't know anybody who knows anybody in prison, if you don't have any experience with the system, there's a journey that you get to an understanding of what it is, you know, like Nate and Zoe have been speaking to, what is the reality? You don't know that. So initially there's a lot of reticence. Ooh, I, ooh, but these guys are murderers or what did they do? Or the writer of this song, uh, you know, and uh, that's understandable. You know, there are many questions that one has to ask on a journey to understanding something. And so that's what we hoped, you know, that the record would have the effect of taking people who are completely uninformed, you know, about what mass incarceration means. They've heard those words, but they never stopped to, they were never forced to find out what does that mean and what does it look like and what's the reality of it for people. So we were hoping we could fast track that process over the course of an artistic journey of this record where a listener could come in cold thinking, I mean, these are criminals. These are dangerous people. And by the end of the record go, oh, okay, wait, there's more to know. There's more to the story. Yeah. And I mean, this also, the album after this 10 year period of incubation finally drops at a moment that nobody planned. <laughs> But, you know, it, it, it ends up dropping in this moment of national reckoning and reconsidering and re, really reexamining what is all of our roles, you know, in culture, in society, in um, the idea of transformation, restoration, retribution. Like, how do these things play together and work together in a way? How do we consider what is the genuine role and, and what's our contribution? What is the contribution of people who've had nothing to do in their minds with the penal system or anybody who might be involved with it? You know, six degrees out, what is our actual contribution to any of the circumstances that might have led people into that system? And I think there's so much reckoning going on around that right now that this album drops right into the middle of that national conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And can I can I just give my friend Zoe some props here? Because Zoe was the main voice along the journey of producing the record of saying, of staying present in the, uh, you know, I think I, you know, for all of my good intentions and all of my wanting to be a part of the solution and wanting to be an anti-racist in the world and do that work, I know more white people than I do black people, people of color. I would probably just innocently or naively, uh, maybe is a better word, like start calling my friends who I are brilliant singers and blah, blah, blah. And Zoe at every moment was like, let's try to get all people of color on this record. Okay, let's get the writers and their loved ones, the talented people in their lives, empowered and involved in helping bring these stories to people. Let's, let's stay as close to them and their lives and what they're, you know, and not come in, you know, uh, and assume a lot of stuff, you know, as the sort of privileged uh, white, uh, you know, observer, you know. So 
anyway, I just appreciate it along the way because I am just, I think, a little bit more of a babe in the woods when I'm just, oh, people are good and good people are good and let's all do a good thing. And Zoe's like, yeah, in the right way. And that takes constant vigilance. And so thankfully, due to that vigilance, I think we produce something that is not colonial. <laughs> you know, together we produce something that is indigenous to the nation and that it comes from and the people in it, not just certain people's perspective, uh, you know, a lot of the diversity of perspective that needs to speak to the criminal injustice system in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think as is part of the big, you know, this conversation that is happening, this reckoning that's happening, what we're talking about is the people leading the movement being the people that are impacted by the things we're fighting against. And, you know, this is coming from some, you know, I'm a white person who's never been incarcerated uh, for longer than 18 hours. And um, <laughs> I think I did about eight. So you're, yeah. you're, <laughs> you're up on me. Right. So that's so another we're, story. <laughs> we're two white people who've never been incarcerated, who who ended up in the leading roles of this project, which you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, whatever. There's ways that we are moving forward in this project where you know we, the next phase, there's two next phases of this project. There's a podcast <laughs> and there's a musical theater piece and and what we're talking about now is, okay, these are just starting. What can we do better than we did on the album and more responsibly? And that is bringing people who have an experience of incarceration in to the mix in leadership roles from the beginning. And yeah, I feel, you know, it's, we're all, that's the thing is this whole project is about how we are fallible. We are humans, we make mistakes, and we are not trash because of that. People in prison, us, anyone, our friends, we all make mistakes. And I think we have to figure out how to be comfortable with confronting that and talking about that and learning from that without throwing people away because when we think of people as good and bad and as actions as right or wrong it creates this fear of accountability and growth because if we admit that our behavior needs to change we are admitting we've made a mistake which is admitting we are a bad person and so it really hinders our growth and our ability to learn and become people who have more to offer to our communities and to um, the movement. And I feel a big part of what we are saying with this record. And we, you know, we're not trying to say any, say anything other than the lyrics of these songs, but what what we hope is the impact is sort of a blurring of this black and white, good and bad, and a a revealing of we are all human and we all cause harm intentionally or unintentionally at times. And we all have the capacity 
to grow beyond that. And people do harm at different levels. And that's something to acknowledge. But given that we're all capable of it, it is in all of our best interest to believe in our capacities to be accountable, to learn and grow, to move forward and to leave harmful behavior behind us, knowing that we will never reach a destination and we will always be <laughs> reckoning with, you know, what we're not doing exactly in the least harmful way. Yeah. I could, so one example of Zoe's vigilance is the town hall. So we release the record, we do the the, the performance, the re- record relief performance, finally, it's out there in the world. But even before that happens, Zoe's like, and then afterwards, we have to have a town hall, and we have to get public feedback on the project. And, you know, invite people to tell us if they felt harmed, or what we could have done better, or, uh, you know, feedback, and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I thought that level of accountability. Yeah. And, Man, like when you guys were both starting to tell the story of how of the seed, the birth of the record, it just was just striking me so hard. How like the minute something happens, it, it normalizes it. The moment it freaking happens, like if it's your parent, the most insane behavior. That's what is. That's what grownups do, you know, and this this situation of incarceration in America and the way it's done has been happening for so long. And it's so and now it's on a mass scale and this mass culture of dehumanization, like Zoe said, on both sides, where suddenly there is no empathy. There is no unity. There is no res- mutual respect there, like that whole you know, and then the whole society reflects that, you know, nobody can make a step out of line or a step off without being canceled the way people in prison are canceled. It just becomes this infectious, I think, lack of compassion, you know, in that permeates our whole society and it gets more and more normalized and we all become victims of it. It's like, if we don't stop this, where it's most acute and really stop and, and, and address this cycle, it's going to take us all down. Absolutely. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, I'd like to say one thing before we run out of time. Sincere, hold on a second. Okay. Sorry, I just got a call from prison. Hey, Sincere, I'm doing an interview. I just got a call from prison, and I just feel like when this happens in this kind of way, I should just answer right. it because I feel like it's supposed to happen. Does that feel okay? Hold on a sec. Walaikum salam. What's happening, bro? Uh, brother, I'm just, man, I'm striving for freedom, man. I'm striving for freedom. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to tell Zoe to give you my phone number, man, but it's a blessing that you called today, brother. Yeah, man, I'm telling you. Hey, so yeah, hold up. Nathan was saying something, and maybe it'll inspire you to say something. I just wanted to, um, okay, so a lot of comments have been said about the album, and um, we had our, our town hall, and somebody had something to say about um, how I was the only person who was incarcerated on that on the forum. Um, and I'd like to everybody who's out there watching or listening to know that without Zoe coming in and doing the footwork, the legwork, this album, it took 10 years to get this album out. Just imagine how long it would have took if it was just a bunch of incarcerated males trying to get it out ourselves. I mean, so I mean, but it, it's 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 even better to hear the standpoint of somebody that's still in the belly, man. How you feel, man? How do you feel about this album, brother? What's your words for that? Well, I mean, I haven't heard it personally myself. I heard my track personally, but I haven't heard the album personally myself. But I know the brothers who all performed on it, and uh, right. it's a blessing, man. It's, it's a blessing that that, that that the world hear our talents and know that we you know we have something more to offer than what we in here for. Know, like I was explaining to Zoe, you know, this album right here lets the public hear our story, get a glimpse into our story of who we are, and who are you, who we are now. You know, yes, that's the goal. The goal is to let the people know who we are now. You know, right? And you are a one hundred percent different person than you were the day you committed your crime. Man, a hundred percent. And you can vouch that I can speak for that because I know you personally. Yeah, for real. <laughs> for real, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a blessing, man. We uh we are on a path that will not stop, period. Yeah, you know. That's what's what that's one thing about having a spiritual foundation and having a goal to want to create something or do something more than just what we used to do, you know. And these and these these the avenue. When we when you start to want to make a change and do something different, then you know, gotta put people in your life. That will help you make those changes and do something different. Yes, sir. I tell Zoe, you know, you're a God sin for a lot of us. God is sent. Yep. <laughs> yep. I take full advantage of my God sin. Facts. I ain't going to let it. 
Absolutely. This is what we need, man. And you know, you feel people. You got people on the same, the same wavelength to see a better change for people and say, well, instead of, well, instead of just locking them up and punishing them, let's fix the problem instead of just locking us all away in cages. Oh, oh, maybe Zoe's frozen. Got quiet. But yeah, that's a good guy. He's one of the um artists. He's one of the um creators on the album, actually. Good man, sincere, Mr. Sincere. Yeah, he's a totally like I said before, he's a one hundred percent total different individual now than he was the day I met him, uh, which was a long time ago in prison. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that's a blessing that he called. Yeah. Uh, it was actually good to hear his voice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that so it's like, yeah, if you can open up your heart and look at somebody who's maybe committed a violent crime and understand that they are that doesn't mean they're bad right it just does it means that this is a system that chews people up right and and pushes them over edges and it's it's not a bad person it's a person that's closest to the edge well right and not only that uh one of the understandings i feel like people should have and that they don't have a lot of is people who have been committing crimes, going to prison, being incarcerated, um, whatever it may be, are not inherently bad people or, or, you know, not to use the word bad or good or whatever, but they're not inherently bad people. Uh, what needs to be looked into more and as well as the mass incarceration, of course, but way back before that as well, people don't even look at the fact that how was this person raised? Like, uh, I believe somebody said something about what the parents do is what we become the normal for us now. So if all I grew up with was seeing my uncle sell drugs to get money and and my sister was a, was a prostitute and she did that to get money and everybody said you were on welfare and if you wanted the new shoes you got to get out there and get the money however you know how at 12 years old well how else am i going to get money at 12 years old in the ghetto nobody's buying the newspaper you know what i mean i can't afford a lawnmower you know so i can't do those things so i'm going to do what i see everybody around me doing even knowing that it's bad you know, you know, we know right from wrong, but the line becomes a lot more blurred when everyone around you is doing what you're being told is wrong. And I was raised, if somebody hits you, you hit them back. Now, I don't raise my children like that because I don't want violence to be the answer for my children. But at the same time, when I was young, that was you come home crying and you got hit, you get hit again. Then you get took out there to fight whoever hit you. So it's like what becomes the normal is changed in different environments. So people might see someone like myself at a youngster always fighting and all this. But that's how I was. That's how I was raised to handle my problems. I wasn't raised. to Oh, let's talk about it. Let's figure out our problems and go on at a peaceful solution, which is what I try to preach now. But that's not what I was taught. That's what I taught myself as an adult. And and let's not pretend that another thing that you learned from the get go probably was you felt, you know, if you're surrounded by the latent rage of a racially and economic oppressive system of a constant struggle against a much huger uh, crime that your little, you know, somebody from the outside who doesn't experience that can say, but look at that perk, but that kid hit that other kid. Right. And, and it's like, okay, but do you understand that kid grew up with a boot on their neck? You know, like, yeah, the story is much is not, clean and cut and dried as it might seem from far away. And then so many people say, well, you can climb out of that. Lots of people climb out. Well, you're taking 
the 20 out of a thousand. Okay, yeah, but there's nobody giving help to those that don't know. You know what I mean? Don't give me money. Give me education. You know, you can't throw money at a problem. You know, you have to change the psychosis. Yeah. And but a minute you start doing that, trying to really get in there and and continue to recognize the humanity, even of a, quote, criminal uh, or, con, you know, yeah, criminal. I think the whole society. Yeah, the whole society. Then it's like if you can look at somebody who committed a violent crime and say, OK, but your life still has value. You can turn yourself around. You might have great, incredible, positive things yet to do. <laughs> then certainly we could do that for each other. Absolutely. Uh, you know, every time somebody tries to do something but doesn't do it quite right or tries to say something but doesn't get it quite right. Certainly, if we can practice that kind of humanity and dehumanizing, not dehumanizing each mm -hmm. other, boy, would that come in handy out here? Man. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what Zoe was saying earlier also, right, which is this idea of getting okay with the fact that we all are brought to our knees, we all make mistakes, and starting to explore the idea that identity and behavior are not necessarily the same thing, that good people do bad things and say bad things, and or people who, quote, consider themselves good. Right. And that also we are all products of the bigger families, cultures, communities, entire societal ecosystems within which we live, you know, and it all plays into how we see ourselves, how we see what is right and wrong and good and bad behavior and how we survive in the world, which is why I feel like this conversation is happening at just the right moment in time. This project is is coming to this stage at just the right moment in time. And this country is is reckoning with these questions. Very, very, very beginnings. But I think a lot of people, a lot more people are in this conversation than I've seen in my lifetime. Absolutely. And I don't know. I, I hope it continues. I hope we keep deepening into it. And I hope we keep saying, okay, you know, like there but for God's grace go I and understand that as we step into a conversation. You know, we step in there knowing that we are no better than, no worse than anybody else in the conversation. And the fact that we may be in different circumstances as we step into the conversation is partly a reflection of our choice, but the things that led us to think what is the, choice, the appropriate choice to make are a part of that too. I want to add something. Uh, we were talking about what you know, good and thing we do things that are bad, we do things that are good, right, wrong, this sort of I a practice I am working on is to kind of throwing out those binary ideas. And I, I've been uh, reading a lot, educating myself a lot on the theory of restorative justice, which is an alternative form of justice. And, you know, the criminal justice system asks, what was the crime that was committed? Who did it? What's the punishment? There's no question in there about harm. Was someone harmed? That, and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. The harm doesn't even factor in, let alone who was harmed and how and or what they think should happen. What's necessary to repair that? No. So restorative justice asks what happened, who was harmed and how, and what can we do to repair that harm and hopefully reduce or prevent future harm. 
there's nothing about punishment there. There's nothing about a broken rule there because those things don't actually matter. What matters is harm and healing. And that is completely throwing out these binary ideas of good, bad, right, wrong, crime, punishment. And that's what we really need to embrace. And as communities really embody this accountability process so that we, regardless of what the government has decided that how the government decides to respond to crime or harm. Instead, we are responding to harm and making the systems of police and prisons obsolete. If we can do this ourselves, respond to harm ourselves and our communities, we don't need prisons and police. And that to me is the goal. That's where to focus and what we need to work towards. I want to tap in on that. As far as the hand goes, I'm going to try to call right back. I, I, yeah. I, I, want, I want to say something on what you were just talking about, Zoe. Okay, yeah, try to call back. All right, right now. Zoe, thank you for that clarification. And thank you for, again, the reminder that we don't live in a binary world, that we don't live in a world of good and bad and black and white, and that we live in a world that is perpetually a full spectrum of everything. Well, right. That That's like the fact that the good and bad or black and white gets blurred when you, depending on how you're raised. So it's like, well, what one person may see as a bad thing I'm doing, I'm seeing it as a means of survival. So is it really bad or is it way for me to feed my little sister? Cause my mom's out smoking crack somewhere. You know what I mean? Is it a means of survival? The lines get blurred and it, it, it actually in effect, takes the good and bad away and just what are we doing to survive? And like she said, is there are there people actually being hurt by this? And whoever's being hurt, are there recompense that could be made to them to make up for it? Or do we need to lock them away in a cage? Come on, man. Yeah, and like, why did the person cause harm? What were the circumstances oh. in which they did this harm? And how can we change those circumstances so that they don't have to yep. do that anymore or don't feel that they have to do it anymore? Sincere, you got something to say? Yeah, like, like, prime example, like my crime. I was 16 years old. A family member and a family friend got into a fight. The family friend got the best out a family member of my uncle. Beat him up real bad, had him looking real bad. Now, me being a gang member, me having missed, uh, 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 being misdirected with these concepts of love, loyalty, and all this, I got pissed off. I got mad. I got angry. I seek revenge. So, I shot him three times. He didn't die, thank God. But they saw me as an adult and then gave me two life sentences. At the age of 16, going on 17, they didn't throw me right inside the CDCR. So they didn't think, nobody, nobody questioned that. Nobody questioned, well, where did I get this mind frame from that if a person hurts somebody I love that I have the right to try to kill him or, or take revenge? Or nobody said, well, let, let's try to put this kid this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Well, let's put this kid inside of a program where it can help him so when he when he does get out, he'll be he have better ways of thinking, better ways of coping, better ways of handling handling situations. You know? So you know, we live in an industrial complex type get out. You know, this right now it's, I know in this country anyway, you know, C D C prison is really it's a business, it's a corporation. So they don't think about the mind frame of why you was hurt or why you hurt somebody. They think, okay, here goes some bodies. 
put them in here and let's get this money off their bodies. You know, and I guess, I, and I feel until we stop being looked at as a commodity and start looked at as humans, it's always going to be that way. Nobody's going to really care. It, it's just, you know, the, the correction and the rehabilitation on it really is just, it's just for, it's just for looks, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's the thing is the people in power are not trying to lower the prison population. They're trying to raise the prison population. Exactly. It's a business. And so when I was talking about the 13th Amendment, you know, long as that long as that 13th Amendment is in, is in place, they're never going to really, I ain't going to say they're never going to really care. It's going to take a lot for them to change their attitudes about really rehabilitating us and allowing us to come back to society better than what we came. Right. You know, we have to do on our own. And that's sincere is referring to the you know, the fact that people cannot be enslaved unless they have uh, committed a crime and then and then we can enslave them legally. But it even goes beyond that with prisons because there's that way of profiting from prison, but there's all these corporations like the one I'm paying right now to talk to you. And all the industries that even in state prisons and federal prisons there's the healthcare services is a private industry and the food is private industry all of these there's all these industries that are capitalist and they're of course trying to grow in capitalism because that's what you're supposed to do and in order for these to grow prison populations have to grow and so it's this whole you know yeah i mean web of of industry that is profiting off of human bodies in cages Nah, it feels like we are at a time where this conversation is is being had in a much more public way and a lot more eyes are being opened to how do we move forward and what it what does the future look like if it's different you know like what are the options that are on the table and how do we do it in a way that acknowledges where we've all been acknowledges where each person individually has been and the choices that they made and also ask the question, what is the world in which we want to inhabit moving forward? And how do we want to treat each other and view each other? And how do we, getting it back to you know what you were talking about, Zoe, the word restore and restorative, like how do we restore ourselves to a place of shared humanity and recognition of each other's humanity mm-hmm. um, without ignoring where we've all come from, but agreeing that you know, like we all have to move to a different place together. It feels like a good place also for, for us to all come full circle as well. And um, I always end these these conversations with a single question. I'd love to pose it to all of you, including if um, he has time, our friend on the phone. This is called Good Life Project. So if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, how does that land with you? What does it mean to you? Freedom. Hmm. That's it. I think for me, it's unity. It's connection. Being connected. Yeah, I think in the same... In the same vein, unconditional love, which is not a forgiving or an ignoring of harm. It is just a recognition of humanity. And we can still make choices about how we spend our lives and who with while having a a foundation of love for everyone. Yeah. Revolutionary love, as Valerie Kaur would say. <laughs> Sincere, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, so I feel it's like this. So we all have to look at each other with empathetic eyes. Uh, and I think I think that's a lot of the times that's what's not, that's not happening, you know. 
because I look at it like this. Anybody can commit a crime. A lot of people have criminal thinking without even really recognizing it, right? And some some is more extreme than others. But, I, you know, if people looked at it, especially with people in power, looked at it, well, what if this was my nephew or my daughter or my son, you know, how would I want him to be treated or him to be treated if the shoe was on the other foot, you know? And so I feel people should, should look at each other with empathetic eyes and literally put themselves in our shoes, you know? And, and until we start looking at each other with empathetic eyes, man, this this, this injustice is always going to be there. Mm. I think what we're doing now is a step. I'm watching the news and I see people protesting in front of in front of Solano and saying that our people that our people are out of here. Because it's COVID nineteen, people are dying. So I think the more something bad happens This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I think, you know, the more something serious happens, people are starting to wake up. You know. And that's what it needs. I, you know, what's happening right now is the, the voice of the people out there. Because in here, in here, we really don't have a voice, or our voice is very limited. You know, so when we have the people out there that say, "Hey, man, let's give these people a try. Let's help them instead of punishing them," you know, that's what's going to happen. When the public starts speaking up, then the public listens. Mm. I want to thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. Or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.